They told me. Son, you're special. You were born to do great things. You know what? They were right. Welcome to the new clip. I'm Chad Irvin. I'm JGR Teamas. And I'm Andy Kenny. And today we're going to be talking about Bioshock. Bioshock was a game that was released in 2007 on the Xbox 360 and uh, was developed by 2K Games in two different cities <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, from the members of the team that would eventually reclaim their name of Irrational Games. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually wanting to ask specifically Andy, because uh, this is the first time that he had played the game, right. where he would want to start this podcast. Don't put that pressure on me. <laughs> um, for me, what I think is interesting about this game is it came out in 2007, and I didn't have an Xbox 360 or a PS3 back then, so I don't really know what like the trends in gaming, like in AAA gaming, were then. Right. So in, like the beginning of it, I think would have really blown me away at the time, but it's something that seems almost kind of like commonplace now. Which parts? The part where, like, the way that it starts, like, with the plane crash, and then it just, like, you just, like, dropped into the ocean, and then you have to, like, realize, oh, I can swim to the lighthouse. It's, like, more cinematic. And that's... That's kind of, like, how video games are just made now. Like, yeah. AAA story-based games. Right, like, because, um, just watched you play Metal Gear 5, which has a very, like, cinematic opening that is somewhat reminiscent but, like, cinematic gameplay specifically. Like, weird little yeah. opening vignettes, in, like, in the vein of, like, Uncharted. I was wondering if, things. yeah, if, like, this game kind of, like, kick-started that trend or not. I'm honestly not 100% sure. It definitely did, like, for me. I know that, like, Half-Life 2 came out prior to that, or to this, um, by about three years, and it had, like, storytelling elements that were kind of meshed in with the gameplay, but it certainly, would you would never refer to it as cinematic. Yeah, it wasn't trying to be bombastic. Right. They both were trying, both as in Half-Life 2 and Bioshock, spend their opening minutes attempting to set up a world really effectively, but Bioshock is trying to be like the Riot at Universal Studios. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Half-Life is just trying to be the same, like, kind of subtle Half-Life that all the Half-Life games have always been. Mm. That's a... That's kind of the reason why I wanted to start with this, is because... Start with you. Because I knew that you were (laughs) going to tell you about how... Since it was the first time playing it, and it was in 2016. Right. When I first played this game, uh, which... I, I know I didn't get a 360 at launch, but it would have been shortly thereafter, uh... And then picking this game up as one of the first games that I played on the console. Uh, other than that, I think the game with the most like far-reaching story that I had played was like Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> 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 so, like the, <laughs> the things that this game did for like uh, like storytelling games and like what games were capable of. Not to mention the fact that like the hardware leap between, like, the original Xbox PS2 era and the Xbox 360 is probably one of the most noticeable, like, graphics-wise. I mean, 
going from 2D to 3D was probably a pretty big <laughs> one. Uh, but, like, the, the, like, comparative textures and, like, polygons and all that stuff that I didn't even know the words for at the time <laughs> were, like, such a significant step up from the PlayStation 2 that I was used to that, like, this game just completely knocked me on my ass from the very first moment. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if that, like, I feel like that element of it is probably just not something that exists anymore. As in, like, the comparative being knocked on your ass part? Like, being right. surprised about the graphical fidelity and things? Yeah. That is... I'm worried that, in that case specifically, that just might be us getting old and <laughs> being cynical about things. I mean, I, agree, I I think everyone agrees at this point that, like, the jump from 3 to 4, uh, in terms of, like, the PlayStation... And, wait, what generation number are we on? Oh god, like I don't even or something. I don't yeah. know. It's gotten to a number high enough that it's no longer practical to use. Right. I think it's eight or nine. I'm not sure. I'm probably totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but this console generation's like graphical fidelity jump has been the smallest maybe ever, at least in terms of Is it? Yeah. Oh I guess that makes total sense. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> yeah. So I mean for the, the current time, anyway, we're, we're definitely lacking moments like that with the kind of crazy graphical pop that Swimming Through the Water and Bioshock has for you. But, I mean, there were moments like that pre-Bioshock. They just they just weren't, like, cinematically influenced as much. Like, the first time you opened a magazine and saw, I don't know, like, Gears of War and some of the, like, pre-launch footage for that, people got yeah. very excited at the time. I think it's... Probably, at least, at, I don't know, I, speaking from, like, this is all just speculation on my part, and you guys can confirm or deny this, but, like, it seems like that this was probably one of the first games that, like, took something that would have been done in a cutscene and, like, let you play it. Right. Like, doing it yourself. Right. right. Which is, like, it, which is commonplace now. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I feel like... I could kind of put myself in those shoes when I played the opening, because it gets cool now right. that, like, the plane crashes, and then it's just, like, in the water there, and then it just, like, you realize you have control. It's a cool <laughs> moment, and I feel like back then is probably, like, grabbed everybody by the balls immediately. Yeah, yeah. Half-Life was the first game to do that, literally. Bioshock was the first game to do that, just like cinematically right like it, it's done for effect and the game is very deliberate about the points where it takes control away from you uh there's either like a very like physical reason for you not to be able to move or uh <laughs> there's a plot related reason yeah as we'll get into when we get into the plot basically that whole uh Oh, like segment that we just did there was me attempting to cover my ass in case anybody thinks this game is dated as we now launch into what is going to be a like just a massive ludicrous love fest <laughs> for one of my favorite games of all time and these guys probably try and talk me down somehow I actually <laughs> forgot that I forgot uh, yeah, your yeah. opinion of this game was that high I mean, it makes perfect sense but yeah I, I will uh, accept the duties of negative Nancy <laughs> <laughs> To counterbalance Chad's love of this game. <laughs> um, but, so one of the uh, perfect best things ever <laughs> do we want to get into first? Is Bioshock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, um, I guess since we were talking about like the graphical fidelity of the game, um, 
the natural lead-in to the next thing would be, like, the aesthetic of the game, which I think is, obviously, I think is insanely well put together. But, like, I feel like the, the, like, the game design and the, like, art design sort of worked together so well in this game, and it's, it's really striking when, like, you're in this, like, underwater city. Which, in case you were unaware, Bioshock takes place underwater. <laughs> uh, and, like, you're walking around and they're just like... I don't even know how to describe splicers in a way that makes them not... That other than just being, like, splicers. Melty Joes? Melty Joes. Melty Joes. They're kind of like... I mean, I guess they're kind of treated like drug addicts. Yeah. Right? They look kind of like zombies. Yeah. But but not... with plague doctor masks, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't act like it. I actually man. spent a lot of time before coming over to record. Uh, I played through the opening again uh, and just was trying to look really, really carefully at a lot of the aesthetic elements, both in the opening and like in the individual models. And a lot of the splicers, they, they took good advantage of their setting there, and that because everything's low light, they look <laughs> freakish and deformed, but you never have to like really pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. They some of the cracks begin to show if you just do something you as a player would never do, which is sit there and zoom in on their face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and that's where I got the term Melty Joes because they're uh. essentially just like weird deformed impressions, like they were made of wax, and you just kind of shoved your thumb in at different points. Right. And I'm actually, and one of you guys might know, it's kind of embarrassing that I don't know this offhand, but, like, I don't know if the implication is that, like, through, like, the use of uh, plasmids, they've, They're like, addicted to Adam. Right. It's genetic but if that's, it is Okay, it's definitely... Because yeah. I know that, like, there's a whole subplot where uh, Dr. Steinman is, like, just carving people up and making them look terrible. But, like, I know that there's a splicer model in the game that has, like, their foot is just permanently a high heel. And it's like, I doubt that he did that. It's like, that's weird. I don't know. And there are a lot of them because it's a model in a game, so it's yeah. reused. So it definitely is, like, a, a genetic thing, then. Yeah, that's, at least that was my understanding at the time. Oh, it, it, it would make sense that it would mutate them, yeah. I think. Since they, yeah, if they your genetic it, code is yeah, being rewritten. They use it a bunch. Yeah. You can, it can create bees. Right. Mm. Also, that's the bio in Bioshock, right? Presumably. That's what supposed to mean? Okay. Yeah. I was a dumb child for a long time and never quite got how the title related to the rest of the game other than referencing the other sh- system, system shock. shocks, of course. Right. I, like, I didn't get... I thought the bio component was like a weird thing to focus on comparatively. Mm. It's like, they're in the water. It's kind of... <laughs> I mean, they, they are, called they are kind of in like a biodome. <laughs> oh, is that it? It's like biomes? Yeah. Oh. Oh. I'm I'm gonna stick to my guns still th- and say that's biology shock. That's, yeah. yeah, but yeah, you could take it in a number of ways. It's almost like right, yeah. both yeah. work, and they chose it intentionally for that reason. Among yeah, others. extremely not like game design related. Not something that we usually talk about on the podcast. But Bioshock, the A plus name, <laughs> it's a really good name. <laughs> ten out of ten. It's like hard to forget. Yeah, yeah, and like pretty, pretty well references where it's coming from. Snappy, snappy, snappy name. I like it. Uh, <laughs> this concludes the name review. <laughs> but no, okay, talking about the aesthetics. Uh, the garbage. <laughs> the garbage. They're hot garbage. Uh, so you are underwater, 
and you're surrounded by these like horrible mutants that we were just talking about. And yet, despite that, the game does a really good job of making the player feel like isolated. Like you feel, at the very least, you feel alone. Like the fact, even having Atlas. Uh, I'm putting that in quotes for spoiler reasons. Atlas uh, <laughs> uh, on the radio, like, talking to you, almost makes you feel, like, more alone because yeah, I he's, think like, it not there. it as well. Yeah. It makes it, it's like, it's like there's that promise mm-hmm. that there's somebody else, but it makes them feel really far away. Yep. And even, like, when you, the game has this weird tendency that I was noticing while I was watching Andy play through the game, where... Whenever the game would, like, put in a cutscene and could not find any justifiable reason for it to not be a cutscene, they would always just put you in front of, like, a pane of glass (laughs) and just have you, like, watch whatever's going on on the other side. And it's like, that's even how you see Atlas for the first time. Is like, because you're locked in the security room within just, like, looking through a pane of glass as the submarine blows up and, like, he runs away. So it's just like, it keeps you so distant from any non-horrible person (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all the way through up until the encounter with Ryan. Do we? Yeah, I he would is, count Ryan as still a, a horrible, horrible person. person I meant like horrible. Yeah, like he's not trying to murder. You. Yeah, I don't right. even mean like ethically horrible or anything. <laughs> I just mean it's th- that encounter is terrifying. Oh yeah, it's like a, it's a scene from like a psychological horror movie. That is not like a comforting. He, I finally found another same <laughs> person. He, he does Hannibal Lecter a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that that whole moment is is, is very good. Um, that was that was definitely one of the things because. Uh, <laughs> Andy, you said that you like just there were elements of that that you saw coming, and then oh, other yeah. elements that you didn't. And... I was suspicious of Atlas from the word go. Right, <laughs> I'm yeah. always suspicious of characters like that. Like when, um, like in this is not a great comparison, but I'm going <laughs> to compare it to it anyway. Like in the Undertale cast, right? Yeah. I was really suspicious of Toriel. Because she swoops right in when you're the most vulnerable and, like, guides you through and, like, is your best friend for no reason. <laughs> which is always suspicious to me. Like, it feels like they're using you for their own motives. Right. Boom. That's exactly what Alice was doing. <laughs> the comparison did not prove that you were right often, but yeah, it proved it, that you were suspicious all the time. So, so I was like, yeah, I was kind of picking up on things that I feel like you would only pick up on on a second playthrough. Right. Like, there's a lot of times where, like, things happen where, he, like, he doesn't react the way I would think a normal person would. Like, mm. when his family dies, when the sub blows up. <laughs> like, sorry, sarcastically said to Chad, I'm like, oh, I didn't seem that upset. Right. Mm. And, you know, and things like that. Like, there were little tells yeah. here and there. I can't think of specifics other than that one, but... This game's really good at putting, like, implied depth all over the place in places like that. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where you can tell that it's sort of, in a lot of ways, an art, an art house work, but an art house work that's only possible with, like, infinite money right. that 2K could provide. Because <laughs> you have moments that would be, like, I- individually memorable in uh, a less narrative, sort of t- more, I'm going to use this, but I don't mean it in a derogatory sense, generic game. Would would come through. It would be something that would be memorable uh, in like some of the like old Elder Scrolls or something. Yeah, but, I, I I get what you're saying because like generic 
in comparison to Bioshock is not like a yeah uh, yeah Bioshock yeah. is pretty more out generic. there on a lot of levels. more generic than Bioshock <laughs> doesn't mean yeah it like doesn't mean the, actually yeah. generic right yeah there's just so much authored everything yeah the the, the, the thoughts that they put in to the setting in just like these little conversations all of the voice acting all over the place that you can that you as the player the first time will just be you'll probably freaked out about and be worrying about your own shit not really caring but upon you know actual inspection has meaning that you didn't intend it for it to be there it's nice mostly in just in its volume there's just so much of it all over the place like so much authored content yeah, yeah yeah i'm a huge sucker for that kind of stuff too yeah this is a very yeah. like i guess okay we i've used the term story driven before uh, and it very much is it's very like experience driven and like that's really the one way that you can like make a legitimately unique corridor first person shooter game is to just like make it as unique and like on, of its own as possible and Bioshock does that really well with all of that other content like between the splicers having like conversations with each other and themselves as they walk around. Even though you're going through, like, a prescribed path, you're still, like, only going to hear some of that if you're, like, not detected in a certain area, and yeah. all of the signage and retro-futuristic yeah. shit that they put all over the, the place. The splicers do work as they're, like, not a great uh, excuse, but, like, it is a pretty good excuse for just shooting things in the face for 12 hours. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Like, it, it's just that little bit of, like... I don't know, context yeah. for the killing that goes a long way in a shooter, I think. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, the, the first ones that you find are basically just talking about smashing your fucking right. brains out. Yeah, and they're all, like, hostile to you and obviously, like... And hostile mind, to other people. Right, and mindless... Mm. They're pretty much just mindless murder machines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just kind of go against, like, their portrayal as being like drug addicts to a certain extent but like, well i think they've been mutated they've gone too that. far yeah. right. i don't think you've met enough drug addicts aren't they all yeah. just clearly mindless just murder murder machines. machines yeah that's how i describe it <laughs> um well yes uh while you're bashing their faces in you're interacting with what is probably the most often criticized component of this game which is the combat uh which I don't know exactly how much you would have to say about it, Andy, because you're not a shooter player. I'm yeah. not, and I pretty much use the wrench exclusively <laughs> of the course whole you game. Did. Um, so you barely used guns. I'm I'm guessing that you don't find that criticism as like very good personally. I assume you really really like the combat. Am um, I correct in that? <laughs> I have thoughts on the combat that are not positive. But, uh... Are they non-wrench thoughts? Uh, well, I, okay, I did the one all-melee playthrough. Uh, but I've played this game several times, and actually my favorite weapon in the game is not the wrench, it's the chemical thrower. Uh... <laughs> Always forget about that one. Yeah. It's, uh, it's underappreciated. Um... <laughs> but, it's... The thing with the combat is I feel like they wanted to give you like, an infinite number of choices 
to like take on any encounter. A Bioshock Infinite. A Bioshock Infinite number of choices. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they did not. They did not do that yet. That wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> the game has a uh, very old school shooter design. Uh, I actually made a list. Of things that it does, like old shooters, Top that would ten be things yeah, that would be basically obliterated with the release of Gears of War later in the same year. I actually don't know which one of those came first. I was going to ask yeah. that earlier. Well, they're very, they're probably they're both in development at the same time. Yeah, uh, but things that this game does that are very old. Uh, you can hold all the weapons in the game just on your person. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no cover. Uh, you have, like, your weapons are all just, like, archetypes of weapons. So you have, like, pistol, shotgun, machine gun. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they're called that in-game. Like, there's no, like, you're not carrying around a Walther PPK. Yeah. You're carrying around pistol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's no cover. I already said that. You have a health bar. Uh, they're like door codes and audio logs. This game is comes very much from like the PC. Wait, wait, wait. Degree. Old PC games had old PC shooters specifically had audio logs. I'm pretty sure audio logs have been a thing for like since the dawn of time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like a common way to deliver a narrative in old shooters. Mm. Bioshock popularized it so much that, that I true. assumed that it just created the concept of audio logs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they went back in time and invented the audio log. Well, I think he means in games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm honestly not like I'm not gonna like swear to it, but I'm I'm fairly certain that the original System Shocks had audio logs in them as well. But yeah, most of those games were not like popular, at least popular enough for it to make like industry trends. And Bioshock absolutely was. You do also regain health by eating food, which well, is a classic old video <laughs> yeah. game thing. Which you know? eat just everything. Yeah. You're like a trash compactor. I, I kept forgetting that like picking up food just made you eat it. Right. So like I like anytime I would run across alcohol, I would just like be mashing the pick up <laughs> button and would just be drunk immediately. Yeah. I just drank like a bunch of whiskey or something. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one time you were like you had the security alarms going off and you like walked into this area and just started like downing bottles of vodka <laughs> and you were like oh god I didn't mean to do this and you're like still drinking vodka and then like you take two steps to the left and a security bot shows up and you just can't aim at it and you're like oh no I was unaware that this game's commentary on dr- drug addiction was also referential to the player. To the player, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in Fontaine's apartment, there's just like a bar that has like oh, a yeah. lineup of like every liquor in the game, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, dude, do the line. Yeah, <laughs> <I did. laughs> just runs down it, drinks all of them. I would have done it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It's comical in that way where it's just like, oh, you ate like. Three apples and a bag of potato chips that you found in the garbage can. (laughs) And you got three bucks, too. And it's like, that's weird and all. But, like, 
it comes from, it, it comes from a, a good-natured place. Right. Because they want you to feel like you're scavenging to survive. Yeah, it's recontextualized well. You, right. You're running around, scaring among garbage like a rat trapped yeah. in a maze, right. which is kind of what you are. Right. Right, yeah, I didn't bring it up as, like, a negative thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again. It is something that a lot of people point out, though. Like, a lot of people talk about how you're, like, eating food out of the garbage. That kind of does stuff seem weird, but doesn't like, really usually bother me in games. Yeah, I didn't think about it the first time I played the game. I was only 16. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it didn't, like, occur to me as something that was, like, strange or weird in any way. People who make criticisms like that, they're looking for, like, a level of narrative consistency that often will actually, like, conflict with good gameplay. I Yeah, I agree. Because, like, if they went, like, out of their way to implement, like, a system where if you ate, like, rotten food, it, like, made you sick or something, right. it would just be really annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the mechanics opinion. still have to serve what's going on. They contextualize the, like, scavenging for items within the context of the game well enough that it has some narrative consistency, which is you're a guy scurrying for, like, nibbling old potato chips, making sure he doesn't right. die. But asking for sort of consistencies that would add nothing to often gameplay wouldn't be worthwhile. It's like, to make another silly comparison, the reason in our D&D games that I don't track, a, like, encumbrance, particularly, like, down to, like, specific meters, it's not what you're there for, and thus not what you should spend, like, a disproportionate amount of your time caring about. Right. You shouldn't have like an inventory full of six million bags of potato chips <laughs> in Bioshock. Because it doesn't produce any interesting results. It just produces a player navigating through menus. Right, to jam A, to eat all of those <laughs> potato chips. Which is basically what Skyrim does. It forces you to eat food from right. a menu, which is irritating. Um, I've been playing Skyrim. So that, was like a <laughs> that is a preview of uh, next week. That's a, next time. Oh, God. No, it's no, two God. times from now. Right. Two times from now. Two times. This is a sneaky sneak preview. <laughs> sneaky sneak preview. We plan farther in ahead. The than double we might sneak yeah. preview. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious though because you brought it up. Yeah. Why well, brought it up? But then you. <laughs> what are you curious <laughs> about? The this. thing that you brought up, Chad. <laughs> Remix. Uh, did you have contrary thoughts about the combat in this game? I am less critical of the game's combat than other people. I think some of the things that make it seem like sort of slow and not very effective to others were also at least partially intended to reinforce the themes. Like the bullets don't really feel like bullets in a lot of other games when you fire them, with the exception of like the shotgun. Like if you're running around with a pistol and just like shooting splicers, right. they kind of aren't affected by it much. You're just making their health bar go down until they die. And <laughs> while that's very video gamey, and out of context would just seem like the kind of thing that's a little bit dated. Within the context of the game, I think they were intending to make the splicers seem like this like crazy, unstoppable, you know, right. guys high on meth thing. Yeah. But okay you, you shoot a guy twice as he's like flying through the air toward you with a wrench, like you're yeah. not gonna say, they do I think kind of feel like they don't have much like realistic weight to them. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like you're just like shooting the gun and you're like <laughs> you know, I, I was waving my hand in a weird motion there. But, um, yeah, like, the knockback on all the weapons is really weird, and, mm. like, there's something kind of odd about it. Yeah. I don't have the the vocabulary to describe it to you here. Yeah, it's, only, it's, it's, it's a very shooter thing, where it's, like, it comes down to how you make the guns, like, quote, feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's interesting is I think that, like, the guns themselves look good. And I think that, like, 
their animations are fairly good, and the sound design, I think, is really good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it is just that feeling. Like, when you shoot something, it just doesn't... It doesn't feel like you're making, like, a significant impact. Yeah. It's like, that. that is a... Uh, this is like a constant weird thing in yeah. in shooters where it's like you have to nail that down. Question. There was something, um, it really stood out to me when fighting Big Daddies. And like I would shoot like the rocket launcher at right. them and it yeah. didn't really feel any different than like shooting them with a bullet. Right. Yeah. yeah, with the Big Daddies especially, or with the bouncers especially, it's like the guns are literally just like a device that you point at them to make a red bar above their head decrease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, because like you blast them with like a grenade and they don't, they just keep coming at you. <laughs> yeah. The chemical throw is actually like kind of an unusual switch to that because the characters have different like, I don't know if it's different AI or if it's just like a, a scripted animation that plays whenever they're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> So lighting an enemy on fire with a chemical thrower makes them run around, run around yeah. like an idiot. Yeah, so that's fun. If that's the case, then it, it seems all the more likely then that them that the enemy's not reacting to your shots was probably an intentional choice. Then, if they made the choice to make it different for the flame flower example, right. I guess they probably just went a little bit too far in that direction. I when you make like literally all the plasmids have different like yeah reactions to them. So. When everything that you encounter seems like an unstoppable force it just makes the world seem like everything in it is unstoppable instead of you are around a bunch of unstoppable things right you had a question you snap your fingers and everything oh that's been at least a minute ago and thus lost to time and space (laughs) (laughs) maybe if I snap them again come back like a genie you actually just used incinerate that's that's I'm not a genie uh <laughs> so, <laughs> something I mentioned before about having them want you to have like a play your own way sort of mentality, mm-hmm. where it's like you just want to take any situation in whatever way you feel like. I've written that guns, plasmids, tonics, and ammo types create a brown mash of systems that miss the mark, that they make too little difference in like the way that the game goes down. It's there are very few things that like require a plasmid to mm-hmm. do. It's really just melting ice and opening doors are the only two things that you need yeah. plasmids for. I think the game really wanted you to light oil and alcohol on fire. Oh yeah, you can do that Because there's well. the one scripted thing early on, but then you just never end up doing that right. again. <laughs> Which basically forces you to carry incinerate and um, electro electro Yeah, that's it. Uh, Throughout the whole game, yeah. which I think is kind of an unusual choice, but whatever. I mean, if they wanted it, they eventually give you give you six slots for plasmids. So, and I think most people probably use um, zero plasmids ever. What? Um, most people I've talked to are just like the pla- like because you have to switch yeah. gun plasmid like it's single wielding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like, a lot of people say they just mostly use guns through, like, the majority of encounters. Yeah. That was a mistake yeah. they corrected later. Yeah. I didn't use it either. Mm-hmm. As early as Bioshock 2, they, they started experimenting solutions to that problem. Yeah. Oh, I, I think I remember the other less. question that I had oh, that I snapped and did all the little snappy genie things. Yeah. It, it might, I might just be a delayed genie. Uh, which is, <laughs> in Bioshock Infinite, did enemies have health bars, generally? Oh, God, I don't remember. I think so. 
I'm yeah. actually almost 100% sure that they did. Oh, man. I'm, that I'm just completely wrong with the thing. That, <laughs> I thought, for some reason in my mind, and it might just be me having really glossy memories of Bioshock Infinite, I didn't remember them having health bars. And I, I, well, I think that instead what I'm just thinking of is how easy a lot of things were to kill comparatively to this game, especially early on. That's true. And, and yeah, in Bioshock Infinite, you mow down things like it's nobody's business except yeah. for... Things that are supposed to be like huge enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have, they have the kind of like differences in how enemies react to your abilities that wasn't present in the original Bioshock that we were talking about. Right. This game, I mean, you do still mow things down pretty easily in this game, um, depending on your uh, difficulty setting, I guess. But like, uh, this game is a game that loses a lot of what it wants to do once you, like, understand the systems fully. Mm-hmm. Because, like, things like tonics... Honestly, tonics and the U-Invent machines and all of their, like, weird components are both aspects of this game that I feel like probably are not that necessary to make the game good. Because, <laughs> like, they just feel so tacked on and, like, having the... Like, anything that you make in the U-Invent machines could basically just be in vending machines. Yeah. It's not really hindering you that much. Uh, and the tonics are just, like, weirdly stackable in a way that you can break aspects of the game. And I was able to go through the whole game on hard with just a wrench. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they use so many melee tonics. It's just, like, I don't know, it's just very uh, unusual. I think that just the guns and the plasmids... And even the multiple ammo types are fine, uh, just for conservation means. Like, the fact that you need to feel like you're running out of ammo mm-hmm. all the time in, like, a survival game, uh, having different ammo types at least, like, allows them to give you some more ammo while still making you feel like you're using, like, the suboptimal loadout. Yeah, that's another thing that they did, that's what we were talking about before from old games that they recontextualize well. Because you carry all the guns at the same time mm-hmm. and have, like, separate ammo types for each gun, it makes you feel like you're just about to run out of ammunition all the time by just them subdividing the total amount of ammo you have into, like, 12 categories. Right. You actually have, like, a, a, a military stockpile of, <laughs> of ammo, but, like, your favorite gun is out of its regular ammo type all the time, yeah. which forces you to switch, which is a good thing. That being said, it's alleviated if you use like, the offensive plasmids more. I guess, in that case, because that sounds, at least in terms of a design decision, like something that they did to, again, try and force player diversity in approaches. It both made you feel like you were constantly under pressure and actually forced you to switch weapons because you only had, like, 12 shots in your pistol no matter how much you liked the pistol. Right. But, as we were describing before, evidently people just kept using the guns all the time anyway. I guess they... (laughs) had a little bit too like too many subdivisions or too many guns in that case? I think it's possible that there are too many guns. I think you have nine or something. You, you have a bunch of weapons in yeah. this game. And, I feel and like the wrench is altogether too effective, <laughs> I think. Yeah. I felt like I... I felt disincentivized to use the plasmids because I felt like they, they worked different than I would have expected. Like, I... Whenever you have to, like replenish something like that with like you know like mana and right. other games is what is Eve in this game right yeah. mm-hmm. like I felt like I needed to like use it sparingly 
So I was like, when I ran into a big daddy, I'm like, oh, this will be a good place to use the plasmids. And it's so And not it's a good so place. ineffective against them. So I'm like, oh, well, I guess that's not how it works. Right. Uh, I'm just going to shoot things with a gun. Now. Yeah. Plasmids are, uh, like, serve such a, uh, like an unusual purpose in this game because none of them like outright murder a guy. Uh, with the exception of things like Security Bullseye and Hypnotize Big Daddy, which people don't tend to use on their first playthrough. I did. Uh, oh, yeah? I was, I never, as soon as I got hypnotized Big Daddy, I was a paranoid enough person that I just never left my plasmid bar ever again. Oh, you just smacked the Big Daddy as well. Yeah, yeah. Just move on. I was always looking for friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, my first playthrough, I definitely, like, I mean, once again, I was 16. Uh, that was not really what, what I was thinking about when I was playing the game, is, like, these, like, strategic, like, very stealthy, like, base plasmids, but everything else is used more as, like, either a distraction, you have decoy, uh, the bees, I've heard that <laughs> swarm, I think is what it's called. Uh, the bees is acceptable. Yeah, the bees. Yeah. Uh, your, the electrobolt plasmid just stuns people. It does very little damage. The uh, incinerate people, incinerate catches people on fire, but doesn't usually do all that much damage. Once you eat, like, if you light oil or something, it usually kills them. Because why not? Uh, <laughs> but for the most part, the plasmids are not, like, your heavy damage dealing. They want you to use, like, combos. So they want you to, like, light somebody on fire, then, like, kill the more urgent guy, and then turn back and kill the guy because he's, like, crisping up and needs to come attack you again. Uh, I think the pace of combat is a little bit too fast for those strategic decisions. Yeah. And they Obviously, they still want to keep it a horror game. They still want people to be able to leap at you from huge distances <laughs> and come across and have like the, the same sort of frantic FPS atmosphere. But it's just really hard for most players, I think, to be able to take in all those environmental details in an environment that's like so dark and downplayed when you have monsters coming to attack you, <laughs> you're just not in the same frame of mind necessary to be like, okay, I'm going to set up this Rue Goldberg machine right. where this gets caught on fire and we lead them this way. It, you, the, you have your sneaking moments where you can try and plan in advance, but things break down so fast. Yeah, especially when you have the inclusions of spider splicers and Houdini splicers because they can literally just come out of nowhere. Yeah, And like you can't plan for that. That's one of the things that Bio 2 did so well, um, introducing the little sister, uh, like, harvesting sequences, because it allowed you to actually, like, set up, like, a kill room with the plasmids that you wouldn't really use all that often otherwise. Oh, I've never played Bioshock 2. Oh, it's amazing. It's I game. actually have it and got through the intro, and I forget why I stopped, but I'll go back, because even though, like, nobody gave it a whole lot of like, praise at the time, because it, as far as I was aware, it was just them kind of, like, tweaking Bioshock and not really doing anything new with it. Right. I really think I've heard about it, in terms, like, mechanically, from described to me as good. Right. I think, I still think, the narrative is not quite on par with the first game, but really good. Yeah. Uh, but the mechanics are, in my opinion, a pretty big step up. Like, it, it feels a lot better. I think it's the best combat in the series. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about here today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Breaks! <laughs> How about that level design? Mm. Mm. 
Let's resume talking about Bioshock. Okay. Bioshock sequence initiated. <laughs> Would you kindly talk about Bioshock? Sorry, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> that became a question near the end. So that, <laughs> I say like, that was bad. <laughs> um, okay, it can't be me because I honestly have no idea where you guys are going. The level design, potentially, because I'm a dumb person who doesn't pay attention to things in corridor shooters. Well, a lot of the things that we wanted to talk about, and we're just gonna roll right into it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> is. The well, like you were saying, variety. I, I assume that you mean put, aesthetic variety. Yeah, they yeah. put a surprising amount, I think, anyway, mm-hmm. of aesthetic variety into a game that takes place in an underwater city. Yeah, that is dark. That's also dark. important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the parts that are that seem more brightly lit are the the things garden. like, yeah, the garden, which is intentional. They have like heat lamps and stuff to keep the plants alive, and then in the ice areas, which feel kind of weird in the context of the game, but at the same like, they give it a narrative reason to exist, um, and the brightness is mostly just an illusion because all the walls are white and light blue, <laughs> so, like, it's still low light, but it's, it's more, uh, vivid, like, it's a, it's a very, like, bright color palette as opposed to in other areas. Okay, so you guys meant, when you, we were talking about this topic before, I thought you guys were going to go into, like, level design specifics from, like, a gameplay perspective, not an aesthetic perspective. Now, there are only a few areas in the game, mechanically, that stand out, um, because, like, a lot of the things are just sort of, like... The game definitely puts its aesthetics ahead of its, like, encounter design. Because, like, when you're in, um, like, the mall area... Mm-hmm. Here's one of my favorite. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, Xander Cohen, an amazing character. Uh, <laughs> but when you're in that area, it just looks like a shopping center. Like, there's a block with stores and storefronts, everything's like that glass fronts and everything on it. Right. And that's really the primary thing. The, the areas, to me, that stick out mechanically are the ones that are, like, very open. When, when you're in an open area with, like, only a few, like, pieces of cover mm-hmm. is when the combat always feels the most frantic because like you can't hide from the splicers and so you're forced to just sort of like take them all out and that's I mean other than that like everything is just yeah a corridor here you're in a place with stairs and railings sometimes that's about it I keep trying to compare it in my mind to Halo as like an example of like really good mechanical level design and trying to figure out the things that are missing (laughs) I didn't even know that Halo was a corridor shooter well it's not technically a corridor (laughs) shooter but it, it has like you know vignetted areas that you have to progress through and while you can't tackle individual like opponents of each other you have to go through the areas in certain orders mm-hmm. yeah uh, Halo is an actually a great counterpoint to Bioshock because Halo is a game that put its mechanical design a million percent higher than its aesthetic design yeah I think now I'm a big fan of Halo and these two are not at least not experienced with it um, I, I played just Three. Yeah. I, weirdly. So you know, <laughs> so know, like, in, in Halo, you'll, like, there will be an area where you have to, like, go across a bridge. Yeah. And there will just be, like, those plasma, like, shield things mm-hmm. up. 
For no reason. <laughs> like, you're not going to run across that kind of a thing in Bioshock. Yeah. Like, you're not going to find, like, a machine gun encampment facing the enemies in a mall or in a garden. You know what Bioshock lacks necessarily because of its level design and, like, other aesthetic qualities? The turret section? Distance. <laughs> oh, It right. lacks distance. You don't have, like, the huge vistas that would exist that often necessarily exist in like really well designed shooter areas. There's like there's no Bioshock like sniper rifle. Right, you don't have a sniper rifle. You don't have it wouldn't be practical because you couldn't set up those kind of areas like what they were discussing before and pick people off from huge distances. It'd be in your face. And that's why like the enemies don't have guns. Right. Well Well, some of them do. The lead head splicers have pistols. Yeah. I think there's some that have dragons. Hilariously, the only time that there's like even a sniper versus player scenario, it's a guy with a box of grenades standing <laughs> oh, on a yeah. balcony lobbing them down at you. Yeah. Like, it's not... Like, at no point are you like dashing from cover to cover to avoid sniper fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's... it's Well, claustrophobic is another great word yeah. to use to describe Bioshock. The fact that you're underwater, there's literally no escape. Like, you can't, even in the context of the world, like, not the game, like, when, yeah. you're, you're not going to be able to, like, go somewhere and get fresh air. You're underwater. If you go somewhere, you're going to have to go into get into a bathosphere and, like, take the hour-long ride back up to the surface, <laughs> presumably slowly so you don't get the bends. Where, and then you'll be back on an island in the middle of nowhere. With right. your crashed plane. To yeah. Well, yeah. Light, yeah, Lighthouse Island. Uh, uh. Yeah, I guess, I guess that was definitely a trade-off uh, that, that they made in that sense. And it makes things feel a little samey, ter- like mechanically, but very different. They, they worked so hard to distinguish between these areas, like the ice level right. and the, like the mall and things like that. Probably in part because they knew they didn't have a whole lot of room for that sort of encounter differentiation, given the mechanics that they're using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, uh, as uh, Andy was bringing up earlier, uh, the garden is probably the most striking, like, difference in area yeah. that there is. Like, you just open, like, a bulkhead, and all of a sudden you're on, like... Hills with like rolling hills and <laughs> grass and trees, and you're like, "What the fuck happened?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really impressive the amount of like different areas they were allowed, they were able to introduce while still making everything feel consistent. Mm-hmm. And it all, like on another level, stays consistent with the idea that this place used to be like a utopia. Right. Yeah. That is now like crumbling, and that stays like very consistent throughout. Right. That's where um, something that I did like I wrote this down, and I've talked about it to you guys before, and I'm not a hundred percent sure. Really, I don't really want to get into it now. I think that we've covered it for the most part, but the Fallout Bioshock like retro futurism aesthetic. Yeah. Um, like that comparison can probably be made, but like this game and. Fallout, which I was debating, because, like, I mean, Fallout, the original games, came out well before Bioshock did. Uh, I feel like they both use it in, like, almost a necessary way. Whereas in, like, the later entries in the Fallout series, specifically 3 New Vegas and Mm 4, use it almost like, you know, (laughs) it's like a parody of what it used to be, but, like, now, in, like, in Bioshock, it feels like 
it's just like this is what probably would have existed in the time. That's what the whole thing started as. They're never trying to be tongue in cheek ever. Right. Well, the you can make it for the plasmid vignettes. The like six second like heat them up. With oh, the, those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're totally right about that. Sorry, I just. I, in my mind, I kind of differentiated those from the rest of the setting, mm. I guess. It, it's really weird in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. That, those are kind of tone-breaking. I think, I, I guess they were trying to be jarring there, too, in the way that you often have to be in, like, horror settings when you're trying to shift tone mm-hmm. really heavily. Honestly, the thing that works really well in terms of, like, a, it, the true horror of Bioshock is probably the uh, Circus of Values vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that needed. That was a problem. Yeah, oh, God. Uh, I don't know. It's almost effective in that, like, those are always in, like, safe spots, and you just don't want to be there. Because <laughs> yeah. it's so annoying. <laughs> it does. It's the one that really stands out. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of easy to miss some of the vending machines, but you never miss a certain <laughs> about you. Like Because you have to fulfill your cravings. That voice, yeah. That voice always, like, always finds your ear. Yeah. yeah. It cuts through everything. Yeah, yeah like, because all the other vending machines also make noises. The U-Invents have a jingle. The, like, Gathers Gardens are pretty hard to miss. Um, isn't that the bullet the one? Ammo yeah, Ambo, Ammo Bandito. Has, yeah, uh, yeah, I knew it was Western. Just has a guy, like, indistinctly mumbling in Spanish. And I'm somebody knows what he's saying. Aren't they, like, gun Yeah, gun like, noises, pew, 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 pew. Yeah. right. Yep. But then, that fucking clown laugh. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> like, that'll wreck you, like, emotionally by the end of this game. <laughs> the true emotional impact of Bioshock. Yeah, it was just hearing that fucking clown laugh. Oh. So weird. Um, what yeah. was their intent with that? What were they trying to do with the clown <laughs> I think, laugh? I think all of the jingles that play from the, the vending machines are just there to draw your attention to them. I think that they yeah. just, like, depending on your perspective, really hit the mark or really missed it with uh, with the Circus of Value one. I mean, sure. They're definitely there to draw your I attention, think, but it has to be within the context of like, I the think setting. it's kind of like, like the... Um, the plasmid videos. It's kind of like a parody of advertising from that time period. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. And they just made one. Ah, oh, we'll put a circus of values. <laughs> Step right up. <laughs> Step right up. <laughs> a little bit too great. You know, like wagging time. the finger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the ringleader, yeah. yeah. No, that's. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I think that's all accurate. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's definitely, it, it definitely stays with you. It definitely, like, is unsettling at times too. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially yeah, if you're stuck in an area, like in a combat encounter, and you just keep hearing that, like, <laughs> <laughs> like over and over again. It, yeah, it's pretty freaky. I don't know. This game as a whole hits like the horror notes extremely well, like better than most traditional horror games. I actually kind of completely forgot about this till you just said that, <laughs> but. I was so tense at the beginning of this game, like, until my first combat encounter. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what it was. Like, the setup just made me, like, really, like, not... I did not know what to expect. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like, play it up in your imagination, like, how horrible your first <laughs> combat's gonna be before it happens. They do tease it a lot. If I'm, if I'm not missing anything, but you have... 
the trip the trip down in the bathysphere. Then you watch a guy you watch a guy get impaled. Then they try and break into your sphere, leave, comes back, another one gets chased away by the little robotic thing. Right. Then you keep going. One like throws a a thing at you. It like throws a burning couch down, down some, some stairs, stairs. Yeah, and then runs you have away. To jump over it. And then there's the ones that like inspect you when you're unconscious. There's a lot of teasing. Yeah, there's a lot of good build up. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think like that whole segment is is just trying to set like the mood of the game. Right. And uh and get like give you your first weapon, your first plasma. So that's like the whole thing and then like they introduce you to one of the major characters, uh Big Daddy's little sisters, splicers, plasmids, weapons, jumping, movement. All of that within like a ten minute span. Yep. Before they give you something that can actually kill you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like I mean, I don't know, that sounds like good game design to me. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty streamlined in a good way. Yeah. And and it does it, it emphasizes the tone so well. Like just like having you that like basically helpless for so long and like just basically putting you through a haunted house ride. Yeah. And he's like, boo! And then they go, oh, jeez! <laughs> <laughs> they, Good they, representation like, of a haunted house there. Yeah, that's, that was me in a haunted house. Uh, <laughs> uh, before you get to all the murdering that you're going to be doing. Yeah. Uh, so... What was next on the list? Big, the plot of the about, game? How about them Big Daddies? Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Big Daddies. Oh, yeah. How do you forget about Big Daddies? Uh, that's a good question. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, I love the Big Daddies um, for so many reasons, and I, I think the game uses them. I was going to say well just now, and then I just had like a thought, and they might actually use them slightly too much, because they just patrol after you've like theoretically dealt with all the little sisters. Mm-hmm. They continue to just walk around and like pound on things. So you may get, like sl- by the end of the game, I feel like you might get t- a little too familiar, a little too friendly with yeah, the big daddies. Yeah, a too overexposed to them. But uh, as like what they are, which is just the boss enemy archetype. They are so well designed <laughs> in terms of like because a little girl walking around who is like basically like a dead thing. Right. With glowing eyes that sucks <laughs> shit out of dead bodies. And like deformed, genetically altered human beings with wrenches, pipes, and guns are not things that you naturally associate with underwater. (laughs) True. It doesn't, that doesn't, there's like a, a, like almost a disconnect between like the enemies and the game itself. And the big daddies do such an amazing job of pulling you back into that and like not letting you forget where you are. Mm -hmm. Because they dress them in big diver suits. They use them for construction as revealed in Bio 2. Uh, and like and the, like apparently the the suits are not aesthetic. They can just walk around outside yep. like underwater if they want to. Uh and like the so they take the heavy enemy like the needed heavy enemy in the shooter game thing and they just use it to just drive hum- to drill home 
<laughs> the fact that you are like in this underwater city and I don't know. And and they're so iconic. Yeah. Yeah. Like the they're they're in the design. episode art for this episode because yeah. it's what people most heavily associate with the game. The aesthetic design of them is phenomenal, I think. The choice I always thought was most interesting was that they forced you to have to antagonize the big daddy and not the reverse. Right. I'm not entirely clear and decided about all the things, the reasons that they made that choice. Because in any other horror game, you would just expect that the big daddy would be like your stand-in for that giant mutant from Resident Evil 2 or whatever. Like (laughs) the thing that's just hunting you all the time. But they very intentionally didn't do that. They just made them this sort of like passive, like colossi-like force that just sort of wanders. It's to like reinforce that moral choice they want you to make. With the little sisters, yeah, yeah, because like if you're going to harvest into, but... them, you have to like go out of your way to antagonize the big daddy, kill him, right. and then harvest her. Like it's to make it. But the game still treats killing the big daddy as an okay thing if you save the sister. Right. Right. Well, thematically, like story-wise, the game basically sets up the big daddies to just like. I think they wanted to make it as simplistic as possible and basically just said that the big daddies only attack people to protect the little sisters. Yeah. And presumably, when Rapture was a, like, living, breathing city, the big daddies mostly just strolled around and were just, like, a part of the scenery. Yeah, just did, like, rivets and stuff. Yeah, and now, post-fall Rapture, the big daddies are much more active because everyone wants to kill them uh, and, like, hurt the little sisters. And so it, like, they sort of, like, just... They're a protector, like a police force. Yeah. And then after... So you have to antagonize them because they are not consciously aware of the change in Rapture. They're just basically machines that walk around. One thing I think is really interesting about the Big Daddy Little Sister dynamic, di- yes, dynamic, that's the word, is that they give you a relatable in like real human dynamic right. to, to like like mutated characters. Like you get like this sense of a father daughter relationship. Which is one of the only human things you run across in all of Bioshock. <laughs> right. The and, only two beings that really care about each yeah, other. Yeah, which, which really, I find really interesting. Mm. I, um, Specifically interesting in that, as I was saying before, the game kind of incentivizes you, in some respects, to try and forcibly rip that apart. Right. Yeah. Oh. All the time. All the time. Yeah, like 15 times, he said. <laughs> <laughs> it's just creepy. I don't know I don't know if it has some deeper intentional meaning like in the context of the rest of the game mechanically, uh, and it's or how it fits in with like the overall narrative puzzle of the game, but it definitely serves to make you feel like just a weird freak who's running around <laughs> ruining families, even if you think you can rationalize it afterwards. Right. Like, another, like, really solid reason as to why you have to antagonize the big daddies before they'll attack you, uh, within, like, the context of the game, is I feel like it would feel almost too oppressive, because there seemed to be, like, an unlimited number of them walking around, if they just, like, 
could attack you out of nowhere. Right, but they control how many would be available. Well, that's true, but if they continued with the, like, the big daddies will still walk around even after you've gotten all the little sisters in the area... Mm-hmm theme like you could literally in the game currently if you're just walking around like one can just like walk by you like if you just suddenly were like w- like going about your business trying to complete an objective and then like just got charged by a bouncer it would be like in because those guys tend to like just lock you down true but I, I still think that's a straw man they can do and do do within the context of the games a ton of things to try and signal that the big daddies are approaching uh you can hear them whenever they get into conflicts with like the other envir- the other forces in the environment, and of course you can hear their moans and giant steps. True. They could have been used if they were naturally antagonistic to you as like minute little stealth sections or something like that, in ways similar to how they used in the DLC for uh, Bioshock Infinite, a burial at sea. Yeah. Like the second half of that, there were lots of sequences in which you're mostly just trying to sneak around antagonistic well, forces in Rapture. I think. It goes back to what we were saying earlier that this puts this game puts story before gameplay, right. and it's really satisfying. I think narratively that they only really exist to protect the little sisters and won't become hostile till you attack them. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, for a game that puts story first, we should probably talk about that story. That it puts first. Dancing around it a bit. Do we have to? Uh, <laughs> Andy, we can't talk about the story until you finish your vegetables. <laughs> um, Wait, that doesn't make sense. No, not at it's all. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah Andy was... It was, it was yeah, The story was, is the vegetables. Don't make me turn this podcast around. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alright, so. You're on a plane. Uh, plane crashes into the ocean. Yeah. Wreckage everywhere. Yep. Uh, you swim to a lighthouse. Yep. You walk into the lighthouse. Also correct. Horribly creepy statue, giant statue of a guy staring down at you. Uh, who looks just like weirdly aggressive. Yes. There's a... Looks angry, yeah. Yeah. In any other game, that would be a majestic face. That would be like a guy who thinks he's the hottest shit imaginable. It, it, would, it would be Comstock. Yeah. This is the exact tonal difference between Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. Is it, yeah. In Bioshock, it's just a giant golden man snarling at you <laughs> from a story above you. Sternly like, judging I you. I want to know the statistics of how many people miss that. No one. Zero percent. You. You're the only How one. How did you do that? I would, because I would, like, in most games, it's like a fact that most players won't look up unless prompted to. I, true, but there was a, quite a bit of prompting. I, I, yeah, I would have never, I think, I probably would have played that game through multiple times <laughs> and, without looking up at that. See, I get the feeling that, I, I Like, think... never once did I even think about looking up. I think that the this is going to be stupid because I don't I'm sure that remember there's, what it says. There's design elements in place to make me look up, but I completely just missed them all. Yeah. Wait, you don't remember what it says? I remember now. It took me one second. <laughs> when you walk in, I think at eye level is the banner that says, No gods, only men. No gods or kings. 
Only Very man. important. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I think that that is supposed to be like, oh, well, maybe this is under something. I can't describe the brain process that makes <laughs> you look at the giant face. You have to look up to even see the text of the banner. That's where, that, that's the signal. And the lights, of course. Yeah. I'll give him a pass if you just looked up to read the banner I and did, like yeah. just happened to not go up And then I just walked He did. And walked it, just, it was the it, exact line yeah. between the, the golden statue and the banner. Yep. And then I read the plaque and then I was going for the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys made me turn around. <laughs> well, either way, you do that, you go down, you get scared shitless. We talked about the intro sequence. Yep. Very good. Um, so... What we launch into is this story that a lot of people have labeled as, like, a Randian nightmare. That is a weird way to say that. Eh, I mean... I mean, it just sounds like you're saying Randy. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) It's literally a weird way to pronounce, like, yeah. It just sounds like not what you're trying to say. Right, right, right. (laughs) Like, some kind of, like, objectivist nightmare, then. We'll go with that. Um, But, I guess the twist is that your player character is, like, being literally mind-controlled and is, in fact, like, a genetically grown, not real... I always forget that. That's the creepiest, like, unnecessary detail to all of this. Yeah, that you're, like, a test tube baby. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's very... that Like, that's our, our jumping-off point. Right. But what I like that this game does plot-wise, and you guys get into whatever you thought the most striking points of the story were, because there are certainly a lot of them, mm-hmm. is that the story isn't necessarily... Even before you find out that Atlas is, like, a... Like, not a, not a guy. Is, <laughs> in fact, Frank Fontaine. Uh, is that the story isn't about, like, Andrew Ryan and then, like, the people who ruined his city. And, or, nor is it about, like... Atlas and like how this world has gotten him down. Everyone in the story is Shit. not a good person. Yeah, they're b- <laughs> they're just bad people through and through. Uh, Andrew Ryan isn't even like philosophically speaking a good obje- like uh, objectivist. objectivist. Yeah, he, he he turns his back on the philosophy that he espouses. Yeah, like, midway through the story. Well, mm. by through the story, I mean through how you experience. And learn about the past that already happened. Yeah, like Rapture's story. Yeah, and it's like, it, it's like basically demonstrating how like Ryan's plan didn't work, Frank Fontaine's plan didn't work, and like everything just fell apart because they put too much faith in people who didn't really know what they were doing. That's the that's the weirdest part of the whole story message that I I rarely see talked about much in like the context of Bioshock itself, because. The game opens with this presentation of, like, no gods, no kings, and it's a thing that, intuitively, with, like, the kind of young, like, naive new atheist culture that exists these days a lot in sort of, like, the internet-savvy boys area, (laughs) all that that, that little zone, whatever you want to label it in a non-derogatory sense, um... It displays that, and it expects you to, like, latch onto it in some way, quick, I think. Yeah, they want you to feel... Like, the rebellious force. Yeah. But then the final message of the game is like, no, we kind of need a god or a king. <laughs> you need a yeah. leader. It, it, it's just straight up that that doesn't work. Right. <laughs> but that's 
oh man, that's weird. Because the game spends so much time like painting both of those things, granted through unreliable narrators, right. as like awful oppressive forces. Can you be an unreliable narrator when you're not even who you say you are? No, no, no. Even, <laughs> but like the, the first. This is a step beyond unreliable. <laughs> Let's talk about Ryan too. Right. Like when you were going down the bathysphere and he's doing his little like pre-recorded narration thing, mm-hmm. it's like even the pictures of like you know God, the hand of government and the hand of <laughs> presumably Jesus. Right. Um, I don't know what that. Was. Yeah. Like that, that. That's supposed to be unreliable as well. I don't know. It's just it's really rare that you hear a lot of media like designed to be marketed to us and, like, our age group and culture that attempts to have, like, any kind of pro-authority message, even though this one's kind of, not really concealed, but it's, like, implicit. Right. Like, you have to think about it a bit to get the the pro-authority bent. I don't even, I almost don't even want to say that that is the, uh, the overall, like, the, the number one goal of this game's narrative. Oh yeah, sure, because yeah. It, in Bioshock finding the number one goal itself is kind it's of weird, because there's so yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and like, while there is like, definitely there's an element of uh, that pro-authority uh, thing, but even then, like, you see midway through Rapture's story that like, Andrew Ryan has basically become King of Rapture, yeah, and like he's now implementing all these laws, and like the like the the one that I found the most funny was the there's an audio log about like people hacking the vending machines, mm-hmm. and it's just like so like it's it's funny to me because it's just like this he like has to break down at this point because it's it's reported to be like fairly early mm-hmm. it, where he's just like just don't. Do that, like <laughs> stop being it's shit. Like, you're destroying the infrastructure that I set up and have no idea how to maintain. And like, <laughs> and so he has to like become a leader, and then even he's a shitty leader, and so he gets basically destroyed by the people around him. And it's just very like, I don't know. I don't, this is getting into like. We're, we're speaking about the narrative from outside of it, and yeah, I'm yeah. about to move into, like, a within-narrative conversation. I think that's probably a better place to be, anyway. Oh, yeah. no. I, I really like the, the outside-looking-in perspective. But regardless, I find it weird that, that... Like, I don't think he was necessarily, like, a bad leader up until that point. Like, it, I, I don't know if it was Andrew Ryan's fault that a lot of people, like, perceived class differences and attempted to just rob the shit out of everyone. <laughs> right? I mean, he eventually became a shit person, as we've established. Right, everyone right. is shit in some way yeah. in the context of this game, past or present or future. But, <clears throat> like, is that, like, a leadership failure? Is he, his whole point was that he wasn't even trying to lead anything. He was actively trying not to be a leader, which I guess rolls back into the pro-leadership message implicit in Bioshock, which is if you don't try and be a leader and try and escape leadership, people will just murder everyone around right. them. <laughs> Society will crumble to murder. Yeah. Right? If you don't have a Mindless murder, murder machines. <laughs> literally, literally mindless, mindless murder, murder machines. machines. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure if that is a, like... A game design necessity, or if it's just like a really heavy-handed metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they're literally mindless murder machines. <laughs> oh. 
I mean, Ryan himself is an interesting character, especially in the fact that he's the only... Yeah, because even um, Tenenbaum is behind glass when you meet her. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the only like human being that you come into contact with who is not horribly mutated. Yeah. Uh, and, like, he, he, he's a... He's an interesting character because it's, at one point he starts communicating directly with the player. Yeah. And when he, he uses this terminology throughout the game of the parasite. Yeah. Right? And as you progress through the story and as you become more uh, aware of like who you are and what you are mm-hmm. and what's really going on, he stops using the term parasite to describe you and starts using slave. Mm -hmm. And then that, of course, culminates as you're beating his skull into, (laughs) with a golf club, uh, into his dramatic, like, a man chooses a slave obeys line. And it's this, uh, like, theme of choice that Bioshock wants to sort of, like, put into itself. It wants to say, like, there's, like, a moral or... Even, like, there's just, like, personal choice that affects that. Do you think that's it all supposed to be, like, a meta, like, commentary on us as video game players? And, yeah, it absolutely was in some respect. I'd, this is the part of Bioshock's narrative that I always sort of get confused about and messed up in. It, it, it talks about so many things and tries to do so much, often successfully, that I don't know how all the pieces interrelate sometimes. Like, I don't know, for example, if... A man chooses a slave obeys isn't any meaningful sense supposed to be like a response to Randy and objectivism. Like I don't know how those two ideas are supposed to interact because mm-hmm. it, it much more clearly is a message about the way we as players interact with games and how we are often just sort of the empty little personless machines. Like, well, that's see, and that's where I think there's a, a like some disconnect in the game itself because. Bioshock is a game that doesn't jump the hurdle that like a lot of games fail to get over, where your decision to progress through the game is largely driven by the fact that you want to continue playing the game. Mm-hmm. The game doesn't give your character a whole lot of motivation to go forward up until the point where they just basically say that you were being forced to do it the whole time. Yeah. Like, they, like the, to the point where they just couldn't, they they couldn't give any other narrative reason because of like what your character is, and it makes the choice thing a little bit weird, right? Which choice things like like the the, the ethical choices present? Well, the only the, the only yeah, that is the only like ethical choice that you're actually given in the game is to choose whether you want to harvest or uh, save well, little sisters. Atlas tells you to choose what you want to do. Yeah. So like up until like up until that point he had told you to do everything and use the trigger phrase. Right. For no reason at all. He was like you do what you want with the little sisters. I mean Yeah, and then like he actively criticizes Tenenbaum. Yeah. Like yeah. So you think that he would have just told you to kill To them. kill little sisters. Yeah. And that's uh literally the note that I have written down for this is this game starts what is a series wide theme. Uh is this motif of, of moral choice. And through the whole series, it's largely pointless. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the context... I, I wonder if this actually informed a lot of, of 
like Infinite the writing that became that came out through Infinite, mm. because it seems like they tried to have some kind of ethically significant thing, but then recognized either retrospectively or during development that the act of their role as designer, the fact that they were putting things into place that were supposed to like specifically incentivize or de-incentivize certain things and in some respects control your decisions, meant it, it took away a lot of the ethical implications of the choice. Because mm. they had to, from their minds, because it's a video game, they thought using the language of game design that there had to be just like differing rewards on both sides. Right. And, and at that point, you're just reducing the ethical problem into like a political empirical question because in, in the context of a game, you just have one goal. You, it's very explicit. You're like, be to the, the end game. of the game. Yeah. yeah, do this thing, and someone normally just tells you explicitly to do the thing, and you know you're playing a game, so you just kind of take their word that that's the thing that you do. Right. And Bioshock, you know, comments on that later. Obviously, it's oof. It's so strange. Yeah. And, it's it's very it's. Both it, like it wants to be a commentary on a lot of things, and I feel like it succeeds in telling a good story, yeah. an intriguing story, and it also does a good job of making a commentary on both games and game players. Yeah, but I feel like the like subtler commentaries that it makes fall a little bit short because they're so like buried at the bottom of the pile of, <laughs> like, commentaries yeah. that it wants to make. It does try to bite off more than it can chew, yeah. for sure. But it's a, it takes big bites. It does. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot in its mouth. Yeah. In the mouth of Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock 1. God damn it, yeah. yeah. There's a lot in the mouth of Bioshock Infinite, but it's all my shit. <laughs> I thought you were gonna go with dick there. Oh, no. Because he could eat my shit. I'm... We might we might talk One about day, Bioshock Infinite and it will be a, yeah, it'll be a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ. Um but we like do you guys agree with me that the like little sister ethical choice is in no way actually an ethical choice? Oh yeah. Now, in addition to that well it's not it depends on what you mean by an ethical choice. It's a choice between g- being given the literal easiest way to save uh, somebody's life and choosing to just murder something, <laughs> which isn't really ethical so much as it is deciding whether you want to be a human being or like uh, like a uh, uh, fuck it, fucked it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, okay, the mustache twirly evil guy, basically. Sure. And that's because they they have like the reward system in place, delayed as it is, for saving them. Right. You take away what's so interesting about like those what's supposed to be the like. I assume that the game was supposed to be talking about how like when you're an objectivist and you're doing everything for purely selfish reasons, like it still leads to shit. Right. But they didn't actually present that choice in the way that it exists in the real world, not even close to one to one. Because you don't actually gain an advantage by killing them. No, in fact, you gain an advantage by not killing them. Yeah. Uh, I've looked at the statistics on this, and I guess uh, you get overall more atom for saving them. And <laughs> if you get both, it, like, if you go through only doing one the whole way, mm-hmm. you actually get enough atom from both methods to purchase, like, maximum health eve and plasmid slots. Mm-hmm. As well as enough plasmids to fill all of those slots. So it's like, 
there's it's such a non-choice mechanically. Yeah. That it just fails on that regard on its own. Yeah. It would have been so much more interesting, I think, if you literally just got nothing for saving them. Yeah. Nothing at all. It it should have been, narratively speaking, largely skewed in favor of killing them. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of, like, at the rewards, if they wanted to still have those little, you know, caring moments, instead of being given plasmids and Adam left at, in front of the machines... Just cash. A teddy bear. Or just the teddy bear? Yeah, just a yeah. teddy bear, and you pick it up and it's like, it's a teddy bear, right. and maybe it has a note on it. I don't know. Uh. Whatever. <laughs> just something that forces you to contrast, like, mechanical efficiency toward a goal right. with humanizing the little sisters. Yeah. Because they do a good job humanizing them, but they don't... That's not really relevant to the choice. Right. The, the like, selfish choice is actually to save <laughs> And it benefits that. you more because <laughs> it's a video game and it's all yeah. predetermined. You you don't have the uncertainty anymore. You certainly, even as the player, don't have the uncertainty after you get the first reward because you're just like, oh, yeah, just I just keep doing this. Yeah, I think at one point Andy had two presents stockpiled. <laughs> like he had saved enough little sisters that the first time he went, he got a reward. Then the next time he got another reward. <laughs> it's like, geez, you guys are showering me with kindness over here. <laughs> uh, that is, I think, like literally the biggest, both narratively and mechanical, misstep in in this game. Yeah, is just the the the, the balance of the rewards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do we have anything else to talk about? I, I was just uh, the, I think the the one other thing that I wanted to mention before we cut it off, unless somebody else had another thing. I had something, but I don't know how much interesting conversation it would lead to. Well, the cool thing about podcasts is that if it sucks balls, we can just we can just it cut it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So you want me to go first? Or you go first. Yeah, go ahead. I'm not. I'm not gonna like forget. What I, I was just gonna comment on how well done I thought the encounter with Andrew Ryan was. Oh, absolutely. Because like the whole time, I felt like. This is one of those things the whole game's going to build to, and it's going to be anticlimactic or disappointing. <laughs> but it's so not. It wasn't at all. <laughs> I thought it was, like, really well, really well done. Mm. So. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, I remember, because I was there when you were in that moment, and it's yeah. it's such a good, like, they drop so much that it, it's not, it's overwhelming, but in a way that it's supposed to be. Like, you feel like everything has just come crashing down, and then they take control away from you and have you kill this guy. Mm -hmm. Even though, like, this is the moment that you're actually doubting if it's the right thing to do. Which is the, as I was saying, the, when you were playing the, what is the name of that area? The area right before Andrew Ryan. Uh, yeah, I remember you commenting on this. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the area. Yeah, there's this whole part where you, like, gather up a bunch of shit and build an EMP bomb and then put it on the center reactor. That whole area could have probably just been cut out or at the very least flip-flopped with the Andrew Ryan scene. Because, like, the whole area leading up to that is just, like, this whole, like, all right, we're the next area is Andrew's area. <laughs> you're gonna go, you're gonna hang out, you're gonna murder that bastard, and then we're gonna ride home on fucking horses made of fire. <laughs> and, and like and then they're like, oh, but first, there are three more big daddies and little sisters, 
a fetch quest. Like, you have to go back to this little hidey hole and assemble a bomb, put it on a reactor, ride a fucking elevator. Like, there's so much shit in between. Because you even get there, and Andrew's like, you're not getting in here. And then, like, you just backtrack back into the area to go do all this shit. And it's like, it's such a huge speed bump to what should just be the huge climax. Like, I had to re-hype myself before going in there. It's, uh... Yeah. But other than that, beautiful. Yeah. Amazingly Be- done. Beautiful. Beautiful. The only thing that I wanted to say, and I once again, I also don't know if this is going to lead to a whole lot of discussion, but um, the ancillary characters are so well defined through the use of like the audio logs and stuff uh, that like each of their encounters, even though they are just like all of them are just souped up versions of regular splicers, are just so interesting. Like just all of their characters and like your interaction with them, like Cohen and Steinman, and not really any of the other ones. <laughs> Mostly Cohen and Steinman. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. They like, are just so well like characterized. Well, the the Doctor, who doesn't end up being a, an enemy, oh, yeah. uh, who is the one who does the uh, the botany, is also, she's also very cool. Uh, yeah, this game just does a good job of, of sort of like actually putting you in the world, which is something that Giving, like we talked about earlier, is lots and lots and lots of money funneled into like specific narrative content that mm-hmm. most video games don't put that much money in. Or even care about it at all. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I'm happy that we're living in like a post Bioshock age now where people are progressively caring more and more about these things. Yeah, about was able to start these trends. Mm-hmm. Soon, discussions of most video games act. Like X, as in don't care about narrative or right. don't care about tone like this, will become an anachronism, and I'll be happy about that. Well, thank you for listening to NoClip this week. That always seems so jarring. What are we talking about next time? Next time, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Fulbright Company's Gone Home. Ooh. Uh, ooh. ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, as always, you can get a hold of us, uh, NoClipPodcast at gmail.com, at NoClipPodcast on Twitter, NoClip on YouTube, uh, and at our website, NoClipPodcast.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Goodbye! <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of build-up for no reward. I didn't have anything to say! <laughs> kind of like the final boss of the game! Boom! Oh, awful! Oh, fuck. I did like how the little sisters like stab him to death. It's a yeah, weird it's visual a- metaphor for Atlas. That's it.